You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar. This is part two of our series on branding. In the previous lesson, we talked about what branding is. We shared a definition that hopefully we can all agree on as to what a brand is and what a brand can achieve. And what it comes down to is that branding is ultimately about feelings and emotions, that a brand conveys a feeling or an emotion in the buyer that if it's positive, if it's a strong brand, if the brand has value, then it drives profitable customer action. That is, the customer pays more, they choose you over the competitors, and they refer you more often. Now, in the previous lesson, we closed off by saying that the first thing that you need to do is to decide which feelings and which emotions you want your brand to communicate. Now that you know what those are, the next question is, how do you actually evoke those feelings and emotions? And we're going to cover that in this lesson and the one that follows. But before we get into it, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free crash course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms, you don't want to check that out right now. Inside the course, I will show you a proven step-by-step process to generate a flood of new business for your firm, and you can get immediate access to the crash course at no charge at 5leadgen.com. That's 5leadgen.com, and you can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. So the question now is, how do you evoke these feelings and these emotions in your buyer? And there's really two steps to that. One is what you do, and the second is what you say. Ultimately, the basis of your brand is what you do. Like we talked about in the previous lesson, your brand is not your logo, it's not your website, it's not your color scheme, it's not your fancy, glossy brochure. That's all window dressing. Your brand is ultimately what you do and the expectations and the promises that you make to customers. So if you don't do something that stands out, if you don't do something that gets noticed, if you don't do something that evokes an emotional response, then you don't really have much of a brand. But doing isn't enough. You also have to communicate a message. You have to tell people what you do, who you do it for, and why they should care. And if you don't communicate this properly, then you'll have a brand that nobody really knows. Now, this lesson is all about doing. It's about laying the very foundation of your brand. It's about helping you become known for what you do. Now, on this topic, there's a brand new book that I cannot recommend highly enough. It's called Badass Your Brand by Pia Silva of Worst of All Design. Now, I've had the pleasure of working with Pia and the team at Worst of All Design, and we're actually going to have her come on the show to talk about the book pretty soon. I would really encourage you to go out and pick up a copy of that book because she has a ton of great advice in there on how you can build what she calls a badass brand, which is ultimately a brand that gets noticed, commands higher fees, and does business on its own terms. What I'm going to do in this lesson, though, is highlight one of the big ideas from the book that focuses on this topic of what you do. Now, Pia calls this the four angles of badassery, that if you want to build a badass brand... One that, again, commands higher fees, one that can choose who it works with, and one that does business on its own terms, then you have to incorporate at least two of these four angles into your brand. The first is a target market. Now, this one's pretty straightforward, and we've talked about it quite a bit here on the show, that buyers are more likely to work with firms who are built to work with them. 
And there's obvious reasons for that, that when you're clear about who you serve, buyers will assume that you understand their industry and their unique challenges and that you're well positioned to solve their problem, whether or not that's actually true. Just by stating that you only serve a particular target market will give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, if you can further double down on those expectations with proof, that's even more powerful. Now, this first angle is a powerful angle because most markets are much like small communities, that if you become known for serving a particular type of client, a particular customer segment, well, guess what? Your clients tend to know other people who are like them. And before you know it, word will spread in that little community that you're the firm to work with. The second angle is personality. Now, this is something that I see firms struggle with all the time, and I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here if you don't mind. See, most of the folks that I work with, they run their own small boutique professional services firm, but they used to work at bigger brand name firms. That's even true of me. I used to work at Ernst & Young, and then eventually I left to run marketing for another boutique firm before starting my own. Now, most of my clients leave the big firms for some very good reasons. You know, maybe they felt like they were just a number or they felt like they weren't able to provide clients with the kind of value that they wanted to, or maybe they weren't able to chart their own professional path and do the work that they really cared about. Now, those are all good reasons, but despite all of that, despite all the trappings of the big firm experience that they wanted to rid themselves of, they often hold on to a few subtle but really dangerous ideas. And one of those ideas has a lot to do with branding. See, the thing about big firms is that they have really well-established, visible brands. So when I say accounting firm, you're probably already thinking about Ernst & Young, KPMG, PwC, and Deloitte. And when I say management consulting firm, you probably think of McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and so on. So when you work at these big firms, you don't really need to think a whole lot about branding because your firm's brand precedes you. It's the reason why, as a third-year associate, I was billing out well over $500 an hour. It wasn't me, it was the brand that represented most of that value. So when people leave these big firms, they have all these misunderstandings about what a brand is. And what they do is they try to act like the big brands that they're used to, because they think that the posture of the big firm is what gives it that reputation. They think, hey, we better fake it until we make it. That if people perceive us as bigger than we are, then we'll win more business just like the big firms. But there is a big problem with that approach. See, big firms are devoid of personality. You know, there are so many people at these firms that it's almost impossible for them to have a personality because, I mean, whose personality would it be? And that's precisely where the opportunity lies for smaller firms. Whereas big firms don't have personalities, you definitely do. Your personality is a strength. It's a selling point. The fact that you're a real person, a real human being who doesn't hide behind a big brand is precisely why buyers might choose you over a big firm. But if you're just a small firm trying to act like a big firm and preventing your own personality from coming through in the process, then you're always going to lose. Here's a good rule of thumb. People hire big brands because of that big brand's reputation, but people hire small brands because of the human beings behind that brand. So the third angle that Pia talks about in the book is with regards to the sales process. Look, one of the biggest time wasters in a professional services environment is the process of turning prospects into clients. It usually looks something like this. 
First, the client discovers you and reaches out for a conversation. Then there's usually some kind of an email exchange where you go back and forth to set up a meeting. And then finally, after surveying everyone's availability, a meeting is set. Then finally, you actually meet. But the first meeting is usually just to get to know one another. You know, the client's trying to gauge if you're worth taking seriously and you're trying to gauge whether this client is serious enough. Now, if that goes well, then there's usually a second meeting where you'll get into more detail about the client and their problem, and you'll have a chance to gather some more data. Now, depending on how that meeting goes, there may be another meeting or two before you're finally in a position to actually make a proposal. Then you go off in your cave with your team and you come up with a proposal that's you know, hopefully going to blow their socks off. You present the proposal, you get the client's feedback, and usually you walk away with a long list of changes that need to be made. And after a few dances back and forth, the client finally agrees to buy. And then you get into the contract negotiations part of the process, where you start discussing things like deliverables, timelines, and price. Finally, when all is said and done, you now have a contract and you're actually ready to begin the work. But by now, you've probably put in so much time that you begin to wonder whether or not this contract is even going to be profitable. Now, if that sounds at all familiar, the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. Now, what Pia recommends in the book is that you forego that entire process because not only does it kill your time, but it also kills the client's time. So instead of going through this song and dance of asking clients what they need and then crafting custom proposals to deliver on that, which is being reactive to what clients want, you should tell them what they need or be proactive. Show them your process, show them how you do the work that you do, and show them why the way that you work has advantages over others. And once you have a process, stick to your process at all costs. Now, that sounds a little bit scary, right? To articulate a process, to put that process out there, and then to sell that process and to essentially tell clients, we're no longer interested in hearing what your needs are because we know what you need and here's what it is. But there are several benefits to this approach. First of all, believe it or not, it's actually refreshing to clients because they don't like that long and drawn out courting process any more than you do. They want to cut to the chase. So if they come to your website and they can see exactly how you work and what the process looks like and what they'll get in the end, it saves them a ton of time. Secondly, it increases your authority because when you come out and say, look, this is how we do things, this is how we can solve your problem because we're the experts on this problem, then the client will immediately see that you know what you're talking about and you'll be in the driver's seat. And third is that it creates less wiggle room for them to haggle you on fees. Once you have a set process with a set fee, then you can tell clients, look, here's what you're going to get and here's how much it costs. Now, obviously, the caveat here is that you have to be confident in your process for this to work. If you're not confident in your process, you'll not only do yourself, but also your client a disservice. So take the time to refine your process before you make this leap. So the fourth angle of badassery that Pia talks about in her book is called a bullseye product. The idea here is that you take your highest value service and you turn it into a product with a clear process and a clear outcome. And we've kind of already covered some of the benefits of this in the previous step, but here are a couple examples of a bullseye product. Pia's firm, Worst of All Design, used to do these large custom web design projects, but they stopped doing those projects and instead developed a bullseye product of their own where they do one or two day brand ups 
for service organizations, where over the course of one or two days, they build out all of your brand assets, including your website, your business card, your logo, your assets, and in the end, you're good to go. Now, that's a powerful offering because as a small service organization, you're really clear on what you're getting. There's a clear price point. And from Pia's perspective, they know what they need to deliver and there's no ambiguity whatsoever. Now, in my business, I stopped doing custom marketing contracts when I would engage clients and I'd ask them what they need. I'd figure out what their business issues were. And then I would design a custom marketing retainer contract where I would deliver services that differed from client to client. And instead, I developed my own bullseye product, which is called the Marketing Playbook Coaching Program, where I have a set five-step marketing playbook for professional services firms, and I coach the professional services leader to go through the process and build a playbook for their own firm. So once you find this bullseye product, this one offering essentially becomes your signature offering. It becomes the thing that your firm is known for. It becomes the one thing that you sell, and hopefully it's the most profitable thing that you sell. Now, it definitely takes time before you can get to a point where you can confidently sell something like this and stop selling other things. But when you do get there, it's a real game changer. So those are the four angles of badassery. Now, Pia says that you need at least two of these to call your brand badass. But if you can hit three or four, then that's even better. So hopefully you can see how Pia's four angles of badassery fit very nicely into our conversation on branding. That in the previous lesson, we talked about the feelings and the emotions that you want your brand to evoke. And in this lesson, we're looking at how to reflect your brand in what you do. That your brand could be reflected in your target market, the people that you choose to serve. It should definitely be reflected in your personality or your persona that you bring to the work. And it could also be reflected in the way that you sell and in your bullseye or signature product. If you can knock off two and hopefully three or four of these angles of badassery, what's gonna happen is you're gonna develop a name for yourself in the industry. People are going to come to recognize what you do and how it's unique in the marketplace. And that's the entire goal of branding. So that's a wrap on this lesson. Next up, we're going to look at the third piece of the branding puzzle, which is how to communicate a message to your buyers. Stay tuned for that. If you want to get immediate access to this entire tutorial on branding, you can head over to forecast.fm slash brand. Finally, if you haven't yet subscribed to the show on iTunes, do us both a favor. Click on iTunes on your phone or on your computer and search for Forecast Marketing. Find the show. It's a blue little graphic there. Hit subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and a review because it helps more people discover the show. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.